Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. This morning we are going to talk about marriage, we're going to talk about submission, and we're going to talk about love. Um, But before we talk about all of those things, I want to talk about baggage. Um, Because when it comes to marriage, we all have a bunch of baggage. There are single people who have baggage around the fact that the church is talking about marriage still, and that they have not talked about singleness at all. They feel ignored. They feel left out. They're frustrated. As soon as I said we're talking about marriage today, they already started to shift into check-out mode and said, this message today is not for me. I don't know why I'm here, and I want to encourage you to stay in it. I want to identify your baggage. I want to identify your cynicism and ask, where is that coming from? And what does God want to do to heal that and restore that this morning? There are those of us who are married, but marriage is difficult. Marriage is hard. We're fighting the fight that it is to serve and to love and to care and to be vulnerable and to be hurt and to forgive. And that's a hard work. And so we can look at marriage and we can say, yeah, marriage marriage is rough. Marriage is hard. Maybe we're in a place where marriage is incredibly discouraging right now, and the hope that we once had on that day that we got married has dwindled to a place where it's just like, man, I just hope I can survive the next day. There's baggage around marriage. And then finally, there are those of us who have been married and are now single and carry this incredible cynicism and heart against marriage. And the reason why I want to talk about baggage is because I just, I want the Holy Spirit to be able to come in and heal us this morning. I want the Holy Spirit to come and identify where our baggage is because we need to kind of like air the laundry on these things because if we don't admit that we have baggage, if we don't admit the baggage that we have around these things, especially specifically around this verse because I'm not going to pretend that there's not baggage around this verse and that there's not been two millennium of kind of suppression and oppression and abuse that's been used around this verse. And so we've got some baggage this morning that we need to look at, that we need to air the laundry around, that we need to not slip in and allow to become cynical, frustrated, critical throughout the message. Because what I want for us this morning is to say, yep, this baggage exists. It exists in me. I have these hurts. I have these fears. I have these pains. I have these abuses that I'm carrying. And what I'd much rather have happen this morning is that instead of allowing those things to continue to fester, continue to well up within us, continue to drive us away from healing and restoration, is I would rather us to just admit it, to get it out there, to air it, and say, yeah, we've got some stuff we need to work through. And the only way that we're going to get through it is to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and heal and restore and give us a new imagination around what this marriage is. And so my prayer for us this morning is that first and foremost, no matter where we're at, no matter what our baggage is around marriage, around these words submission and love, that the Holy Spirit would be able to minister us this morning. So would you guys pray with me around that? Uh, Dear God, I thank you for this day. And I thank you for this text in Colossians. I thank you for the words and the things that you're doing new in it. And God, I come to you and we just come and we confess and we lay bare before you the baggage that we have around marriage, around submission, around loving one another, around (laughs) caring for one another. God, I just pray that you would take that baggage away, that you would begin to heal our hearts, and that you would minister to us 
this morning in ways that would shock us, that would surprise us, and that would give us new life. Lord, I love you, and I thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, now on to Paul. So we're going to continue in our series that is the Greater Than series, and we're in Colossians. We're in the book of, we're in chapter 3 in the book, and we are in verses 18 and 19. And this is what those verses say. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting to the Lord. And husband, love your wives, and do not be harsh to them. I'm going to be honest. On first impression, when we look at Paul and we look at these verses, Paul seems at best kind of outdated or out of touch with us here today in our society, in our context. At the worst, Paul can be labeled as misogynist in this text as kind of being this male chauvinist of male dominance. And this is mostly how this passage has been viewed and interpreted for the last two millennium. But when we treat Paul like this, I have to ask this question, are we being fair to Paul? Is this what Paul is actually condoning? Or is this something that we've allowed the passage to speak into over time? Have we added to the text? And is Paul actually doing something actually incredibly incredibly different? Has Paul been misinterpreted and misapplied? And to answer these questions, I want to back up just a little bit to see how Paul has gotten us to this specific point. So if we back up into chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says this. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above. So Paul begins this chapter saying that through Christ we have been created for higher things, for things higher than what they currently are now, and that they were created for heavenly things, that were ultimately created for the things that are in heaven, and that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, heaven future can break through into present now. And the hope of heaven is that all things are going to be made new. Paul then continues on and saying, he says, put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. And we get a picture of what this image of our God looks like and what our transformed selves ought to look like when he says, put on as God's chosen ones, holy beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. And above all else, put on love, which binds together everything in perfect unity and then finally, let the peace of Christ reign in him, in you, so that he might dwell within you richly. It's from this place of seeking things that are above, of being transformed, of putting on compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and forgiveness and love and peace that we arrive at. Wives, submit to your husbands that is fitting to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And so when we look at Paul and what he's done up to this point and how he's pointing us towards a new way of life, towards setting our sights that are above, towards a transformed heart, towards a heart that's moved towards compassion and peace and kindness and love, I think the natural question that we ought to be asking about Paul here is what new and beautiful thing is he doing here? Because that's what he's been up to all the way up until this point. He's been talking about a new creation, a new community, doing new things, being transformed into a new image for a new purpose. And, so, and then he talks about marriage. 
And immediately we become incredibly cynical and jaded and frustrated, and we ask, why is this passage even in here? Paul seems archaic. And really the question that we need to be asking is, what new and beautiful thing is Paul doing here? Which should then raise another question in our hearts and in our minds, is what did marriage look like in Paul's day? Which should then raise another question, which is how was their culture different from our culture? And this is where we dive in to the world of Paul. Because in Paul's day, men ruled the world, literally. The women were not allowed, in most cases, to own property. They were dependents. They were dependent upon their father's household, and then the father's household was quick to marry them off so they wouldn't have to be dependent upon this woman anymore, but then she could be dependent on her husband's household. Husbands at this time were not expected to love their wives. It was not an expectation. Wives were seen as a resource to be traded, to be used, to be manipulated for the purposes of the pleasure of the husbands. And to make matters worse in this time, the Jewish rabbis had interpreted the Torah in such a way that divorce was allowed on the grounds of being disagreeable or insubordination from the wife which meant that in this time, wives did not submit to their husbands. They obeyed. They obeyed. They obeyed with fear and trembling and with strict obedience because they were one talking back. They were one moment of talking back. They were one moment of disagreeing with their husband. They were one moment of insubordination from the streets, from being divorced, from having no property, no food, no livelihood to be forced into begging and prostitution. This was what marriage looked like in Paul's day. And so Paul enters the conversation here in Colossians. And he doesn't just simply go along with the, de <laughs> with the degrading culture of the day. He doesn't just simply go along with it, but rather he suggests something that is brand new. Something that's going to have to force us to redefine what relationship looks like in this new community that God is creating through his son. And it's in this community of relationships that we are called to submit to one another and to love one another. It is impossible to read the Bible in such a way that we could walk away thinking that only one person in the marital relationship is called to love and the other person is called to submit. Because there are many places in the Bible where we are called to love and to submit, and that command is universal. But you'll come across commentators that will say, the wife is never commanded to love her husband. And you'll come across commentators that will say, the husband is never commanded to submit to his wife. But if we look at the Word of God, if we look at what Paul's saying in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Submit to one another. And if we look at Jesus in John chapter 10, he says, love one another. And so this should then raise the question for us, why submission and why love in this place, in this time, in this text right here, right now? And I believe that Paul uses the mode of submission and the language of love here to highlight these two ideas in the relationship in which husbands and wives do something brand new. Because back in this day, wives 
They didn't have a choice between submission and obeying. They just had to obey. And so Paul comes and he commands wives not to obey their husbands, but to submit to their husbands. And then he calls the husbands, he says, go and love your, lot, your wives. He doesn't continue with the oppression of the day that says go and lord over them and treat them as property. He says go and love your wives. And just in case if Paul is not clear on what love means, he clarifies it and he says, do not be harsh to them. Do not be harsh to your wives. This is what Paul is doing. But the mastery of Paul does not end there. Because when we look at the word submit and in the original language, it's written in the middle voice. Which means that submission is voluntary for the woman. If we look at later verses where we talk about children and slaves, Paul uses the word obey, and he uses it in the indicative, meaning that they must obey. It's a direct command for children and slaves to obey. But in this passage, in this place, with wives, he does not say obey, but he says submit. And he doesn't even say submit in the hard form of a command submit, but he says submit. That's something that you can give. It's something that you can and can't do. It's something that you can enter into, and it's something that you don't have to enter into. He says, submit only what is pleasing and fitting to the Lord, meaning that Paul is saying to these wives that the wife is to submit to the husband's love and not to the husband's tyranny. And this is radical. This is radical at the time. To give wives this level of freedom, to give wives this level of choice, this level of personhood, to not go in and just repeat the same course of obey and, and obey. You see, we, we use the word submit in our culture, and it means obey very quickly. But in this world, the word submit had all types of freedom associated with it. If you think Paul's done, he's not. He's just beginning. Because when you think about it, you might think, well, this sounds like a giant step forward for the women, that women who were told once to obey now only get to submit, and they only get to submit to the things that are only loving from the husband. And at this point, you might be saying, Paul, that's genius, but what's going to happen when wives go and they start living out this new freedom to their husbands? Husbands are going to get ticked off. This is not the way things were. This is not the way things had been. And so Paul does this amazing thing, and he says, do not be harsh with them. And what's even more amazing is that the way that Paul writes the passage, do not be harsh with them, is that it can be rendered two different ways in one reading. And so you can read it one way, and you can read it as most of our <laughs> editors and publishers of the Bible have written it, and it is do not be harsh with them. But it can also be read from the passive voice, which says, husbands, do not become embittered towards her. Husbands, do not become embittered towards your wife. The same line has two different meanings, but yet they build off each other and they mean kind of the same thing. Readers in Paul's day would have been blown away. They would have seen, you're giving the woman freedom to choose to submit or not to submit, and now you're commanding the husband to not only be harsh, to not only not be harsh with her when she chooses not to submit, but you're also saying that I should not become embittered against her when she chooses not to submit and obey and listen to me. This is new. 
this is radical. This is transforming and restoring what it is to love and be in relationship with one another. Paul is doing something incredibly new. He's saying, husbands, don't only love your wives, but shower her with patience, shower her with grace, with love and forgiveness and peace. It's an amazing thing that Paul is doing, and it falls in line with everything that Paul has done up until this point in the letter. But this then leads us to kind of the question I think that we've all been waiting for, and that is, what does this mean for us today? What does this look like for us today? And first, I want to ask this question is, what if we looked at this passage and we saw that Paul is actually calling us to live out a life of faith with those that we're in closest community with? What if the family, what if the marriage in this place where we live close together, where we share everything, where we are most vulnerable, where we're most intimate, where we have the most ammo to load up and just obliterate the the other person, that Paul is saying, from this place, from our closest relationships, the kingdom of God is going to flow, and it's going to teach us how we are to be a part of other relationships outside of the marriage place. Because you see, what I find is that there are couples, there are marriages that are really good at loving other people. And they are terrible at loving one another. They're great at putting on the facade that everything is okay. But inside in their household, the relationship between the husband and wife could not be more polarizing. And the relationship between the children and the husband and wife and the mother and father could not be more polarizing. And everything at home is a wreck, but yet they come maybe even to church and they put a smile on and they say, how's it going? And they give and they provide meals, and they take care of other people, and no one would ever be able to look at their lives and say, man, love's not present in them. But yet when you get into the closest relationships, there's actually incredible strife and divide and warring, something that's opposite of the idea of the peace of Christ ruling within us. So I just want us to think about that for a moment. What if Paul here is just saying, hey, we need to get these relationships, the relationships that are most close, that are most intimate, that are most vulnerable to attack, that are most vulnerable for there to be a disruption of peace. What if we could practice that well, and then maybe we'd be able to practice loving our neighbor well also? Then now back to husbands and wives. Today, we assume rightly that there's equal value between men and women and husbands and wives. And so the question then becomes, so what is the relevance of submitting and loving have to do with us today? And I think for us to be able to do that, we need to look at kind of God's intent for marriage. And we need to realize that God's intent for marriage was a form of covenant between husband and wife. And there's a difference between covenant and contract. They look similar because both covenant and contract lie out what each party is going to give, and what each party is going to receive. The reality is that when we form a contract between two people, most of the time what we're looking at is what am I going to get? It's kind of an if-then statement. If I do this, then you. That's contractual. And there are many marriages that work and operate from this place of contract, of an if-then 
but it's mostly focused on what do I get? And it very rarely asks the question of what do I give? But a covenant, on the other hand, is designed completely differently in the sense that the terms up front are actually more focused on what I give. And it's focused more on the idea of I'm going to be faithful in the things that I have committed to give. And that is what marriage looks like. Instead of it being this place of giving, it is this focus on, I mean, instead of focusing on this place of getting from the other spouse and holding them accountable to it, it's more about this place of giving and just giving and giving and being generous in the gift that is giving today. And so what I want us to say and what I want us to see to go back to this idea of submission and love, what I want to clarify for us real quick is that I want us to see that today it would be just as ridiculous today as it would be in Paul's day for us to go up to a woman and tell her that you need to remain submissive to a husband who is not present or disengaged. Because the submission that Paul is talking about is the stuff that is fitting to the Lord, that's grounded in love, that's grounded in this covenant, that's grounded in giving of ourselves, and that's not terribly connected to what it is that we are receiving. But at the same time, we must repeat and repeat again because of the abuses that this passage has caused over time. We must say and clarify that wives are not to submit to the tyranny of the husband. But when we go back to covenant and we have covenant in mind, I think love and submission become beautiful things, things that are not demanded for or not demanded by from the other. It's not where the husband has permission and go to the spouse and to the wife and say, submit to me, woman. There's no freedom there. There's no covenant there. That's contractual. That's focusing more on what you're getting than what you're giving. And it's not this place where it says, the wife goes and she's like, you don't love me. You don't take care of me. You don't see me. But it is this place where the wife has freedom to give herself in the form of submission. And what I think is that what's going to be easier than to talk about definitions of what love is and what submission is and what these things are, I think it's easier to actually talk about what they look like and allow the things of what it looks like and what it looks like to have those things lived out, this love and submission lived out than it is to try and come up with a concise or all-encompassing definition of what love and submission might be. And so I just want to throw out a couple of examples of what it might look like for a husband to love their wives and what it might look like for a wife to submit to their husband. And hopefully in this relationship of love and submission that Paul is getting at, that Paul's creating new in this place, that we would find relevance for it today in our own marriages, in our own relationships, and that it would also outflow into the relationships in our greater community, in our neighborhoods, and with the people that we live with. And so first, to the husbands. The husbands are called to love, to love their wives. And this word love here is this agape love. And I know you guys have heard the sermon on the three different loves, but there's eros, which is kind of this erotic love, which would have not been surprising for Paul to use if he was continuing in the same line of thought as the day. He could have said, husbands, eros your wives, and the man would have been like, yes, 
Yes, I will Eros my wife. Better believe it. But instead, he says, agape your love. Agape your life. Love her. Give yourself up for her. Give yourself to her. In Ephesians 5.25, Paul commands in very similar words, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her. And so lay down your life, husbands. Serve her. And there's some questions that we can ask for us to do this well and to do this better. The question that we can ask is, what will give my wife life? What is something that I can do that will encourage her, that will breathe life into her, that will allow her to flourish and to thrive? What does my wife need to grow that I can provide for her? How can I be intentional for her? If you're a husband, I think one of the questions that you have to ask, and you have to ask it often because it can switch in an instant, it can switch on your mood. And the question is, is am I being a source of fresh air and life to her, or am I sucking the air out of her? Am I providing life for my wife, or am I dragging her down to a place of death? and cynicism, and frustration, and anger. Do not be harsh. Do not be harsh to your wife, and do not become embittered towards her. You need to love her practically. You need to love her physically. You need to love her emotionally, thoughtfully, spiritually. For wives, it's important that we get close. For wives, it's important that we spend time. Husbands, sometimes we get caught up on doing. And we do because there's a list. And we like lists and we like checking things off that list. And there's times where I spend time as a husband working that list, checking those things off. And I'll come back to my wife and I'll be like, ta-da! It's like, thanks. I'm like, yeah, but ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> She's like, actually, like, it's great that you got that done, but you know what I would have really loved in this space and this time? I would have loved it if you just sat with me. If you heard what was on my heart, if you were present to me, if you would have kind of saw in my eyes that things weren't good, and that you would have taken notice of that, and you would have stopped the doing and started just being, started just being with me. You see, Husbands, I think one of the best ways that we can love our wives is to see them. I don't mean look at them. I mean see them. See them for who they are. See them for who God has created them. See them in ways that they can't even see themselves as yet, but pray that God would give you a vision for your wife that is from him and that it's for him and that it's greater than where she's at and that you can be the life that breathes that into her that you can call her to the higher things that God is already doing and working inside of her, that you can come alongside and encourage and give life and love. She needs to know that you see her because we all love in different ways. And so one of the ways that you can maybe see her is ask her, hey, babe, how can I love you better? Just be honest. Just be like, hey, we're in this marriage thing together. I want to love you. I'm not sure if I'm very successful at it all the time. 
And you might be sitting there like, yeah, think. <laughs> but just ask. Be vulnerable. Ask, how can I love you better? How can I love you more? Look for ways to intentionally love her. And then finally, speak highly of her. Speak highly of your wife wherever you go. When you're with your friends, speak highly of your wife. I know what it is in the good old boys club. You get the guys together and stories of the wives come flying out. Speak highly of her. Lift her up there. Love her well there. Speak highly of her to her face. Allow her to see that you adore her. And more importantly, allow your children to see that you adore her. It is in your relationship that your child is going to understand love and commitment and forgiveness and grace and peace. It's a lot of responsibility. And that's why a lot of us have some parent problems. But the reality is, is that if we can love well, if we can take care of each other well, it's going to be an incredible blessing to our children. And so do you see your wives, husband? All right, now on to the wives. Wives, I want to say this. You get to submit to your husband. You don't have to. You get to. I know you can get really cynical about that. Like, I get to. Yay. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like when you're, you know, your mom tells you, like, you get to do the chores. You know, it's like, oh, thanks, mom. <laughs> but that's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is that you get to love your husband by submitting to him. And in your submission, you don't, get to, you don't become a non-person. You don't just, like, become absorbed into his ego, into who he is. You're not his property. You're in this thing together. You don't get to lose your identity, but instead you get to practice vulnerability. Just as your husband has practiced vulnerability in loving you, and it is in this place of love and submission that this relationship moves to, towards unity and peace and oneness. And so here are some ways that I think that wives can practically submit to their husbands. And the first one is going to sound super simple, but it's incredibly difficult, and that is to let your husbands love you. That's the first form of submission, is just let your husbands love you. But we are really bad as people of letting other people love us. Just go out to a meal with a bunch of people and have one person try and pay for the check. No, 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 I'll take that. No, 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 I'll take that. No, 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 I'll take that. I mean, we're in the society, if somebody does something for you, normally out of love, the kind and polite thing to do is to at least reject it once. Maybe a couple times. Maybe it's reject it, reject it, and actually, here, here's my credit card. I'm going to pay for it all now. And the person that offered to pay is like, great, that was awesome. And sometimes that's what the life of the husband is like, is the husband tries to go and do something, and the wife's like, no, 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 no. Let me do it instead. The husband's like, oh. So one of the forms in which we can submit to our husbands is to let him love you. Give him space to love you. And to be active in looking for places in which he is trying to love you. Because like I said before, we don't love the same way, and we've got to learn how to love each other well. And what often happens is a natural response is that the way that we give love is the same way that we like to receive love. And so what I found is that a lot of times I'll tell Rebecca, like, I love you, I care for you, I'm proud of you, 
look at the things that I'm doing for you. And, you know, sometimes she's like, those are, those are nice words. And what I've realized over time is that actually I'm seeking those things. I'm seeking for her to say, hey, I'm proud of you. I love you. I care about you. I'm thank, thankful for the things that you do. But what I need to realize as a husband is I need to figure out a different way to love my wife, a way that's going to love her better. But as the wife, as your husband's trying to figure out how to love you, you need to be intentional about looking at the ways that husband's making an effort to love you. The places where he's trying to get stuff done, where he wants you to, instead of him running to the room, and be like, ta-da! He wants you to be like, ta-da! Look at what you just did. Thank you for that. So the second way that we submit to husbands is by honoring his sacrifices, by honoring the ways that he tries to give of himself, even if it's not received in your way as love at all. If you're like, yeah, I would have rather loved you, John, this or this or that, look for ways that he's at least being intentional and celebrate that. And then also provide that as an opportunity to guide, to guide and direct, to say, hey, I love that you did this. And then maybe later say, you know, it would have been great if we did this today. I would have really liked that. And you say that enough, hopefully your husband gets the clue that this is how it looks like to love you but this is what it looks like. So we give him space to love, we honor his sacrifices, and we just honor him generally. This is a, kind of a, a personal example. This is not prescriptive in any way. It's only descriptive. So I married Rebecca, and part of marriage is that you have to write cards to a lot of people. Um, a lot of friends, a lot of birthdays, a lot of stuff, a lot of cards get written. And oftentimes, at least in my family and probably most family, the wife is the one that like, writes the card. She's the one that puts the card together. Um, in a lot of families, the wife just signs both names. What I found very interesting and kind of compelling and profound was that Rebecca would write the card, and then she'd come to me, and she's like, here, you sign it. I'm like, okay, sign it. You know, Three years of this, she's like, here, sign the card. And just the other day, she's like, hey, I want you to sign the card. And as I'm signing the card, I realize how profound this is. She is trying to honor me in a very subtle way. She wants to say, hey, I know I wrote this card, but I want you to read it. I want you to know that there's voice in it, and I want your signature on it. And I want your signature actually to be first. Now, I'm not saying that she needed to do that. I'm not saying that my signature needs to be first. I don't care, to be completely honest. I don't care if her signature goes first, my signature goes last. But I do want to say, for some weird way, it's really special to me that I get to sign the card first. And so wives, part of submitting to your husband is coming up with creative ways to honor him in ways that speak to him, in ways that make him tick. And I believe that Rebecca does that because she knew that it would be important to me and speak to me and honoring to me before I knew that it was going to be honoring and loving to me. And so there's some kind of this creative intentionality around what it is to submit to your husband. Again, merely descriptive, not prescriptive. Don't go and say, oh, honey, Justin said I need to sign the card first. <laughs> All right? Just a description. <laughs> um, the third way that I believe that wives can submit to their husbands is by asking for the husband's opinion about things. Just asking, what is your opinion? What is your opinion here? I've been thinking through some things, or I want to make this decision, what do you think here? And we talked about wives being seen. I want to say husbands, I believe, want to be heard. 
Husbands want to know that their voice matters. Husbands want to know that their voice is taken account of. And that doesn't mean that his opinion trumps your opinion. But it means that you at least hear it, you acknowledge it, you consider it, and you take it into account in making whatever decision it is that you're about to make. Because hopefully that decision that was once solely your decision by bringing it into community and involving your husband is a decision that you guys can make together and move in unity and oneness and where there is peace instead of frustration and divide. And husbands, I, I got to say this too, if your wife asks for your opinion, have an opinion. Care about what she cares about. See her. Know her. Anticipate the question that she's going to ask what your opinion is, and then you speak life into that. Maybe you are opposed to everything she wants to do, but do not be harsh with her. You can still share, but do not be harsh. And finally, don't also say, well, whatever. Whatever, I don't care. Because I believe if the wife comes to you and asks for your opinion, and you say, whatever, I don't care, most of the time, She's going to read that much deeper than just the thing that you're presenting. Men, we do this. We're like, oh, here's the thing. Yeah, I don't care about the thing. And the wife's like, oh, but that thing was really attached to me. And by you saying you don't care about this thing, I feel like you don't care about me. I feel like you're not seeing me. You're not knowing me. You're not loving me. So that's just a quick word about hearing and asking to be heard. And so wives, please seek out your husband's voice. And maybe we're going to have a hard time knowing how to respond because maybe for a while we haven't heard that question before. But value your husband's voice. Value, allow him to be heard. And then finally, the same thing that I said about wives, about husbands to wives, I believe is also true to wives to husbands. And that is speak kindly about him. Speak kindly to him. Again, the same thing happens with wives in this society where it is lunchtime and the women get together or it's a women's night and man, the stories just come ticking off about how the husband lacks in this area and that area and you wouldn't believe what he did or didn't do or you can't believe how much time he spends sleeping or napping or not doing anything. I'm the one doing it all. Just throwing the husband under the bus. And if that comes out there, don't be surprised when it comes out in your home as well. And don't be surprised when he feels it. And his natural gut response is going to want to be able to respond in harshness and impatience. Thus the command to the husbands to not be harsh and to not become embittered. You see Paul saying, take the high road no matter which side you're on. And women also know that men love to hear from you. We love having our ego stroked. We love it. So the more that you can pour it on, the better it is for us. And not in a false, prideful way, but in a way that makes us feel like your conqueror, your hero, because that's what we want to be. We want to be able to love and provide and take care of. We want to know that we're appreciated. And so these are some of the ideas. Instead of saying, this is what love is, and giving you a definition, saying this is what submission is, and giving you a definition, I think that this is what it looks like maybe to love and submit in this context, in these relationships, in these ways. I have one more word, and it's called the crazy cycle. Now, the crazy cycle exists because 
we forget the idea of covenant in our relationships and we move the contract. And when we move the contract, we begin to say, well, the husband says, I'm not going to love her because she's not submitting to me. And she says, well, I'm not going to submit to him because he's not loving me. And this cycle continues, and it continues, and it spirals in on itself, thus called the crazy cycle. My encouragement to you this morning is to be the one that breaks the cycle. Be the one in your marriage to break that cycle. Be the one to love. Be the one to submit. Be the one to do it first. And just see what a faithfulness to the thing that you've been called to give in your covenant might stir in the other person. How it might give freedom. How it might bring peace. How it might bring joy and how it might bring new life. Be the one to break the cycle. And now finally a word about abuse. Because I believe we can't talk about this passage and not talk about abuse. For far too long this passage has been horrifically misused to justify and shame women into remaining silent and in abusive relationships. This is not what this passage is about. This passage is not about wives obeying their husbands. This is not about wives remaining in abuse. This is not about wives just be stronger and stick it out. What I hope you see is that this passage is actually the opposite to all of that. That it's about raising the value of women. That it's about giving women freedom. And that it's about growing in oneness as a couple. And so I just want to say that if you are in a relationship where there is fear, where there is anxiety, where there is shame, where there is depression that is directly linked to your spouse or to your significant other, I implore you to talk to somebody about it and talk to somebody about it today. Because if that relationship causes anxiety and fear and shame and depression, I'm not saying that there is abuse there, but there is a high likelihood that there is. And just because abuse exists in a relationship, because it does, because we're broken people, that does not mean that the relationship ultimately has to end. Maybe it does, but maybe it can be healed. Maybe there is healing, maybe there is forgiveness, maybe there is work that can be done to restore that marriage, to restore that abuse. Because at the end of the day, what is most important is that abused people need protection and abusers need healing. And we want to be able to begin that conversation this morning if that exists in our marriages, in our lives. The last thing we want you to do is to walk from this place and say, I need to be the faithful wife and submit to my husband. That is not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, submit as unto the Lord. Submit to your husband's love, not to your tyranny. So as we go in to communion, I want us to think about God creating this new community and how exciting that is and how exciting that we are a part of it, that we get to set our sights on heaven future and that we have the ability by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring heaven future into present now, that we're called to be loving and compassionate and gracious towards one another in the image of our God and that the Holy Spirit is creating that transformation inside of us and that he is moving to provide peace and love in our hearts and in our homes, that we want the peace of Christ to rule and dwell in our most intimate relationships in the home. Christ is the example of the life submitted 
and power. He's also an example of love and sacrifice. And he never stopped being both. And so as we go to communion, I want us to be reminded of his sacrifice and of his gift and of the life that he called us to imitate. Would you guys pray with me? Dear Lord God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time that we have together. I thank you for this passage. And God, I pray that we would walk away encouraged and enlightened around what it is to love one another well, to see each other and to submit to each other, to hear each other well, to see and hear one another so that we can move towards a oneness, that decisions wouldn't be his or hers, but would be an us, a decision that we made together, that we would live a life out of covenant of what it is that I have agreed to give instead of looking at what I think that I'm going to receive. God, transform us this week greater into your image in our relationships at home, in our relationships at work and in the neighborhood. Lord, we love you. We're going to spend some time praising you and giving you glory. In your name we pray. Amen.